0: I always did it to like when I when I did, when I did my podcast. I was like, eventually they go, "Are we recording?"
1: I'm yeah, like, yeah, we yeah, started, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. get like you we get started
0: fifteen sh- minutes ago. It was, <laughs> it's it's awesome. Yeah, it all conversation. I was like, well, oh, yeah. the rest of the stuff is like you know so depressing. But you know, it was the art of the conversation that I was like that's, most interested in. You know,
1: that's what a podcast is all about, right? The art of the yeah. I um so well, let me do a quick intro here because I just started recording. We started talking about it. anyways. uh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sandflower Hour. Today is uh somebody who I feel like I've been kind of following for a while now. Like um, you know, I podcast wise, I think I I feel like his podcast actually started out way better than mine did, but just uh different guests uh, that I've had on, um, whether it be Charles Hugh Smith, Gino Denning, uh Jan Irvin, Krista like we've had very similar guests. I've read very similar books. And, uh, you know, I, I'd listen to some of your older episodes. So, uh, I have Steve Patterson on. So if anybody ever listened to two beers of Steve, which is now choice conversations, um, ultimately Steve was an awesome podcaster and then ultimately got involved with other stuff and, and kind of passed his podcast on. And, uh, so Steve, welcome to the show, man. I'm super excited to have you on and, uh, just love to have you tell your story, my man.
0: Yeah, well, well thank you. I mean, this is quite an honor. You know, I feel like um I'm like a relic that's been uncovered, you know. I've, I'm I'm I've been unearthed after being away from the podcast world for so long. Um, cuz I did it back like it was I started Two Beers with Steve back in 2008. So, and yeah. then I sort of hung it up around 2012 cuz um, for a lot of reasons, and we'll probably get into all that.
1: That's actually right when I started, which is which is interesting, man. Like it's it's interesting because uh, I don't, I mean obviously we're not the same person, we have different lives, but like right. we definitely have similar interests, and I think we definitely came from like similar backgrounds based on what Chris said. Uh, Chris said at like what one point in time, like you were a socialist, and then you kind of evolved into a more of an anarchist. And yeah, uh, and I and I'm I'm the same way. I came from like a liberal background i mean my mom is still like just totes the democratic flag and the democrat message and it's like man like i don't i don't understand how you could keep doing this like and uh and i remember being a socialist at at one point and just thinking you know we just need it all regulated we know we need to regulate the thing and it's like man that's it's it's just became quickly i don't know like it's just interesting like i think it's it's just like i feel like we're I feel like we're kindred spirits, Steve. But. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: I mean, I, I see. I see your point. Yeah, like uh, the fact that we're not the same people, but we kind of follow a, a similar path, and so I think a lot of people will also relate to this if they've gone through the same transformation that you and I have. Which is like when you're younger and you're, you're just coming into this, and you got a lot of passion and energy for things being fair. You know, absolutely this, this sense of fairness. And I, th- it's very seductive um, because you you just want it to be a level playing field. You don't want to walk into a game that's rigged. Um, you don't want uh, like th- these big corporations doing nasty things to you. So you stand up in your and you protest, and you just don't have the information, um, you know, right at your you know, fingertips to sort of like figure out like, uh, how, how the whole system works. So I think I was, I, I don't think I was an out and out socialist. Um, in that sense, I, I thought I just wanted a little bit of fairness. I wanted yeah. like, uh, for the large amount group of people, um, to have more of the wealth, you know, and was, or I can't really explain what I wanted, you know, cause I just didn't know what I wanted. I just didn't want the game to be the way it was being played to be played continually forever because it didn't seem fair to me. Um, and so I think, uh, Going way back though is um was that uh it was it was going into the two thousand and eight crisis you know i had I had graduated from college with a major in finance and a minor in economics, so I had like a good sense of how the market worked, and everything was upended by the two thousand and eight crisis, you know yeah. and it truly was a rigged market. Um, no doubt about it, you know, there was like, there were some things that even tipped me off before that. Like I, I had bought a stock and, and, um, cause I was, I would just pick stocks here and there and a stock doubled in the course of like six months, but it doubled in like the last three or four days of it before, like I was eventually the, the stock was bought out and, um, eventually I was just giving back my money. Um, but, uh, it was, it was like a few days before the public announcement of the company being bought, the company was Wrigley. Um, before it was bought, it was like, it started skyrocketing in price. And I was like, how do these people know? You know, how, wh- wh- what's going on? Why am I not in the know? You know, I'm a guy that's like reading it, staying up on top of it. But um, I really felt that. I was like, okay, this is insider trading." like- <laughs> It's insider trading right it's, I mean people in the know know and they tr- they trade on that information, information gets leaked, and you know from a guy that 's been f- so far away and and you know i I read like when I was in um, you know college all these books about how this is it was illegal to like do insider trading or the market is it 's a rational market, you know, like the Burton Malkill's a random walk down wall street um, that was a book that i 'd read about uh, all information. Um, that's public is like uh, reflected in the stock price. So here was information that was not public, but it was being reflected in the stock price, which was opposite of what I've been sort of taught, you know? So um, I just, I just, I just felt like there was uh, something wrong with that. And then when the um, 2008 crisis came along, how would it like, and and I just sort of like, I I had to uh, like um, reverse engineer the entire market, you know, and just figure out how it worked and how I missed it, yeah. which led me down a, like a rabbit hole, you know, of like, wow, wow, that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's what they do. Wow. It just, and it kept, and it kept opening up like new doors. And, um, you mentioned it like about reading books and stuff is like, you know, I was consuming like before that I was like, you know, a little bit, uh, financial stuff, a little fun stuff, you know, um, but then I was like like completely devoted to trying to understand like what was going on. And I was ripping through like, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem like much, but I was ripping through about two books a month, you know, but here I was operating a business and raising a family and, you know, and tr- trying to still enjoy my life, you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, because you got to try to enjoy your life and all this because it's so negative. It's so, yeah, um, it's so depressing to realize like uh you know when you read a lot of these books, like you you mentioned Ellen Brown's uh, web of debt," or you know I, I sort of got turned on to her pretty quickly, um, but people were putting out stuff that was just so negative in nature, and it's not my it's not my nature, you know to be negative for so long. um so to me, ultimately, like um my personality is to always solve problems. Uh, you know, if I see a problem like with a car or something, you know, like I got to fix it like right now. Um, I got to go out there and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything else to the side and start working on a solution, um, to whatever it is. If, you know, it's a space heater, I gotta, I, I gotta put everything down and fix this stupid space heater. Um, but at this point I had to, I had to reconcile in my brain, like what I thought the, the market was or what I thought politics were or, and, and just make sense of it. Um, and it just led me down this rabbit hole. And and so being, hearing what I'm saying right now, Drew,
1: yeah,
0: do you see any similarities in that? Oh
1: yeah. I mean, so I was, so, so 2008, um, I mean, so he, basically for me, like I wasn't, I was, I mean, I was in college, so I was, uh, I, I just turned 30 Wednesday. So like, I'm, i'm i'm pretty sure i'm younger than you and uh yeah just based on you know you i'll say. be
0: 40 um in october okay so, I'm so 10 years so ahead, 10 yeah.
1: years yeah 10 years so i was in college i did you know i went to school um you know i was in high school and high school is a big joke to me And i went to like a supposedly a good high school it was a good public school um and, uh, so then I, I went to college, I got, I scored well, but high school was a hustle too, because I scored well in my ACT. So I got an honors diploma, even though I had a, I had a garbage GPA, but it was like, oh, all I have to do is get this, uh, score high in these standardized tests and then I'll get this honors diploma. Oh, okay. So then I did that. And then I went to college and, you know, I, I'd gotten involved because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And, you know, you know, I, I just had been fed, you know, get a job, get, good grades. Um, you know, get a get a good or get good grades, get a good job with benefits, and then you know that's that's the life you want—a good, secure, safe job. And then, um, you know, my parents told me that they would put me through school. My mom always wanted to because she had to pay for her own school, and she didn't like she didn't think that was fair, so she wanted to pay for ours. But I didn't I didn't realize how she was paying for our school. I didn't realize she was just like maxing out our student loans, and then she was planning on paying back our student loans, which is For three kids, like that's a pretty crazy thing to do. Like looking back at it, but like we were her whole world and she was willing to sacrifice anything for us. So I I can't really falter for that. I just, to me, it wasn't the best decision, but I'm not going to hold, you know, I can't hold against my mom. And then so Mm -hmm. I watched my parents struggle just to provide something for me that they thought would benefit me. And then going to school, I realized how much of a lie it was. And then so looking at my parents kill themselves. While I'm, for me to have a lie, just really kind of fucked me up. And then um, I...
0: Well, what do you you mean by lie?
1: I mean, uh, like, like, what do you mean So, like, a college degree, like, already, so, like, you know, when I started school in 2003, I think from the time of 2003 to 2008, or 2007, actually, like, school, the tuition costs had more than doubled. Like, just in, like, that short period of time. And it was just, like, and then, like going to school and like getting like internships and stuff like that. And then just realizing like this fucking sucks. Like I don't want to, I don't want someone to be my boss. I don't want somebody to tell me when I'm allowed to take a piss and shit my whole life, just so I can, you know, just, just so I can make a living and then possibly have a family. And so for me, it was just like, it didn't make sense. Like I I didn't, it, it was like, why am I doing this? Like none of these people are smarter than me. Um, most of my college professors I don't even think are smarter than me. Like they might have more information about something, but I don't think they're actually smarter than me. And then it was just kind of like for me, it was just a lie because like everybody had a college degree and everybody was getting a college degree, but more and more people had these degrees and couldn't get jobs. And I wasn't being taught like it was always like I was like, Okay, so when are they gonna pull out the adult manual so I would know how to be <laughs> an adult? Like and that and it was never happening. Like everybody that was teaching me was just teaching me based on presumptions than rather than actual experience and it was it was never like the best so then like what happened was i ended up getting involved in network marketing and um that was uh and and, and that's something that like i wouldn't recommend for everybody but that was like i i learned some real life business skills like i mean i had a i called everybody i knew and and asked them to get involved in this greasy business with me. And then, um, you know, and you know, I was laughed at, I was uninvited from weddings and like, I went through like all these kind of trials and tribulations, but like yeah. I learned, that's when I started reading books about like personal growth and self development. That's when I started learning about like, uh, I watched, uh, from freedom to fascism by Aaron Russo. And it kind of got me on this path and like, um, and I was already kind of questioning things just because of the, the Kerry Bush election. And, I really campaigned hard for John Kerry because I hated George Bush so much. That's going
0: back quite a ways. That's like, yeah, I mean, 2004.
1: Yeah, yeah, so 2004. So, And then I kind of was like, man, this this guy just quit. Like, I put in all this effort to try to help this guy get elected. I had people cuss at me, get in my face about stuff just because I'm saying vote for this guy. And this motherfucker just quit. He didn't even take his loss like a man. He just just quit. Oh, I can't win. So thanks guys. I'm going to secede. George Bush won. And it was just kind of like, man, this is bullshit. Like this isn't like, none of these people care about me. Like nobody's going to, if anybody's going to help me, it was me. And I realized that, um, probably in 2007. And then that's when I did network marketing. And then, from network marketing i started like learning more about government and more about finance and reading books about finance and i like, i never studied that i was going to school for pre med uh ex- well exercise physiology pre med and i and i was like man like being a doctor was supposed to be this luxurious job and i looked at these guys lifestyles for like cuz i i wanted to be a cardiologist and i'm like man their lifestyle sucks like this guy yeah. is so happy to hear a voicemail of his kid that he never sees if I'm going to have kids, I want, I want them to be part of my life. Like, I don't want them to be a voicemail message. And it right. was, and it was just, for me, it was, it was like, you know, I don't, so then like the, the crisis happened and I started like reading these books and I was just like, I, then I kind of started getting on this path of, you know, if, if, if anybody's going to do something for me in my life, it's going to have to be me. And, and then like, I, then that's when like, I guess like, you know, Personal growth and self development, reading books, educating myself, and then that's when I feel like I I got on this path that was kind of like in more congruent with stuff you were reading, stuff that you know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I I see a lot of um, relation there because I I guess me and you both experience the same thing, and and I imagine a lot of people can relate to this. Is this sort of uh, this reality is evaporated, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the fact of like, you know, you, you can work hard and, and you do this, you hit this goal and then you hit that goal and then you hit that goal and then you're going to sort of like uh, fall into success. And, um, th- th- I think the crisis really sort of upended that. Um, um, not that, I guess my mind was on the, on the sense of like if in- investing, you yeah. know, the investing side of it. Um, like if I, if I invest this certain way and, do this sort of thing and then it follows this sort of path and then you could and it's all going to work out and then you realize now there's a the peop- bunch of people like um um they're self-interested uh and there's regulatory capture and um and and I just I thought well it's it's not a game for me but um it led to a, a personal growth of myself that um it seemed like it was damaging uh, because I was so negative and so down, and thought the world was going to end, um, but I didn't really express it too much outside of my immediate circle. But it was causing yeah personal relationships that were were damaging. Um, How many? So pe- I had to look for solutions.
1: How many people yeah. did you wear out? People about nine eleven because I definitely did. I like everybody I, I knew. I was like nine eleven was fake, or it was it was an inside job, and I don't know if I really believe. I don't know. I kind of do, but. Um, you know,
0: I, I, got, there was a, there was a guy that I was around at the time that was big on nine eleven, and I, I, I just, I just never bought into it. Um, I mean, th- the reality is like, um, that even if it was, and this is Christophonic has said this before, even if it was rigged, you know, there's so much out there like that, that, um that is so much easier for people to grab onto and say well this is obviously bullshit you know that way you have to there's so many things you have to leap yeah. onto like there's there's so many um leaps of faith say okay this has to happen and then this has to happen and this has to happen and not a single person can talk about it um, there's actually things that are actually corrupt that we know about oh, yeah. that are like in our face that are that we could be pissed off about that we don't even have to think about nine eleven as being you know like um, something that that would turn us on to like maybe saying well you know the government's you know yeah is, is, is terrible um,
1: no that makes so many, a ton of there's, sense there's only
0: so many things that are that are in our face that you could say well this is obviously bullshit um, so and th- we know these are facts whereas like nine eleven required so much uh, of like watching videos and leaps of faith. Um, and just most people weren't willing to do it. And I, I myself was like, I watched the videos. I forget the name of all the videos. Alex Jones was just, uh, you know, what is it? What was the name of his videos? Or? Oh,
1: he has so many. There's uh but there's yeah. his, there's loose change. There's, uh zeitgeist uh the original zeitgeist movie that was kind of what opened my eyes to a lot of stuff and like yeah but mainly the federal reserve was really what i was wearing people out about i think Maybe that's what f- i was wearing people. the, the federal, federal, federal reserve. reserve i'm like you yeah. know that's not a federal bank yeah. you know that we don't own that bank the government we and it and, and like uh i remember i remember saying that and then like you know now everybody's getting hit to quantitative easing and everybody's talking about it but like it's uh I I did the same thing. See that's thing. reality.
0: That that's yeah. reality. That's something that's like we didn't make up. That's not bullshit. That's like yeah. I mean I, everything I said is about the Federal Reserve is true. I just put all the pieces together. Um, Before most but people it is did. it's it's just it's like in our face, you know, if they want to look it up it's there.
1: Yeah, and and but. I th- I think um yeah, I mean I I I did the same thing and then like, you know, people so not only was I wearing people out about, you know, network marketing for a while, and then I wore them out about the Federal Reserve and 9-11 and other shit, too. Yeah. So <laughs> at least I'm blessed to know that anybody that's still my friend actually really loves me and is my friend.
2: <laughs> so, okay. Well, so I'll,
0: you've probably going. always been fun, right? I mean, that's, yeah. like, like put all that stuff away, and then, like, I mean, well, you're a good di- good guy to hang out with, and yeah. um, to me, but, I've, that that's what the whole two beers with Steve was, was so yeah. like, can we have these discussions and still be friends and just have them over a few beers and that's always been my thing is like um is i I took myself really seriously at first, but I had to relax on that because people were turning you know turning me off like they they didn't want to be around me when I talked about that stuff um, and i I sort of I sort of got the sense that like okay i'm not, I'm not being heard on this, um, but then there was other friends that would engage me in sort of playful debate. And that's where the whole Two Beers with Steve sort of came from was, uh, you know, I I wanted to see, am I right about this? Because So I had invited guests on and we had, um, the reality is it it stemmed out of the chat forums of the Chris Martinson website. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Crash Course.
1: No, I've heard Chris Martinson, but I'm not familiar with the Crash Course.
0: Yeah, he he put together this... um, so it was a PowerPoint presentation It lasted about three and a half hours, and it's so well done, and it's so right up my alley of, like, facts, facts, you know, like things that I could I could read about um, that were written by, like, you know, even government studies. Um, there was engineers who wrote books. There was, like – I mean, this is – these were realities. Like Hubbard's Curve about peak oil. Um, all these things were a reality, and – Um, how money works, you know, these are things that were real. And, and so I wanted to see if his conclusions were correct. And so I wanted to, before I started, you know, really changing my life up too much, I wanted to see if it was real. And um, what I found was that, uh, you know, there was a bunch of people just like myself that were, that were trying to figure out what was, what was going to happen in the future. You know, we were looking for solutions and, um, and being negative and being, you know, pessimistic wasn't it, you know, drinking a couple of beers and talking about what the next move was, was a better option. Yeah. And it was, and, and I've always enjoyed the art of the conversation and I've always enjoyed drinking.
1: So (laughs) I put the two together. (laughs) It was, (laughs) it was a cool concept. So like, so, so, so you were doing this, uh, um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Steve, you were probably going to explain what I was just about to ask you. So, but, uh, uh, I just got excited listening to you. So, uh, so, okay, so you're you're having this debate. So what made you be like, okay, I, I think I should start a podcast? Because back then in 2008, the only podcast I listened to was like uh, one about MMA and then uh, music podcast. That was pretty much it.
0: Yeah. Well, there was a void of like stuff that was talking about the subjects that I thought were important. Um, I was listening to, uh, at that time, I was listening to a podcast called Econ Talk with Russ Roberts. And it was about economics. And um he started twisting in this direction, but didn't go far enough for me. And I still to this day, I that's that's an appointment podcast for me is uh, econ talk by Russ Roberts. I've always talked about it being the best podcast I've ever listened to. Um it's very intelligent, it's very cerebral, but it's also on an economics 101 level. He's he's a brilliant host and he taught me everything I kind of knew um about how to do how to do a podcast correctly. Um so I listened to him and, and I listened to business week cause I was, I used to read that book, I read the magazine, um, week, at, week in and week out and I listened to their podcast. And outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot of like a uh, really good quality content in that area, but you could find all you wanted about like, you know, MMA or music or, you know, whatever it was that was like entertainment wise, you know, you could find whatever you wanted at that time. Comedians were going crazy with like podcasts. Um, they still are. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and that's kind of like where they went when they did, couldn't get shows, they went to like a podcast, which I really enjoy. And another one I still listen to is a WTF podcast with Mark Marin.
2: Yeah, um,
0: that's a good one. That's a good one. Whenever all my other podcasts are out of the way, you know, when I've listened to Econ Talk, I've listened to Zen Parenting, um, when I've listened to a free domain radio with um, uh, with Stefan Molyneux, then I can start listening to like stuff like, uh, WTF with Mark Marin. but there wasn't a whole lot of good content out there. So I just created my own. I mean, it, it was like, it was great because it taught me so much about the technology of, uh, of putting out a podcast. Cause there's just so much to learn, you know, you, think, you gotta get um, mics and do
1: you think it was, yeah, I agree. Um, do you think it was like a good networking tool too? And also like it kind of oh, yeah. therapeutic as well?
0: Therapeutic. Yeah, it was my therapy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so because I needed that outlet, you know, cuz no one else would really want to listen to me besides my wife who would just, you know, I would I would read these books and then recite what I just learned um to her at night right before bed and it would it would put her to sleep. So she was a willing partner to listen because it would put her to sleep.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but I got a great I got a great wife. I got an unbelievably great wife. Um and she followed me up, down this path too, but um she sort of twisted it in her direction of like health, you know, like growing vegetables and, um, moving towards a more like, uh, plant-based whole foods type of diet, you know, which, which we still practice to this day. And I I see you kind of going down the same path, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, I think up in my vegetables, like, I definitely still like to eat, like, good, clean meats, but, like, just anything, like, I need to have that relationship with food. Like, you have to yeah. have, and I think, like, uh, man, urban farming is just, like, honestly, like, so for me personally, um, it was weird because, like, I've been talking to Charles and, like, Charles C. Charles Smith. Charles Smith. Yeah, I love Charles. Like, he's one of the coolest guys and, like, loves talking to me, love his blog. I still read his blog. Um, and like, but we always have like really positive conversations. It's funny because Charles will kind of tell you like how shit's going to hit the fan, but then he tries to like, I, he doesn't do it in a way to me that's like doomsday pornish. It's more of a, like, this is what's happening. So adapt, like, that's kind of like what I get from it, reading his books as well. And, uh, so like I was listening to your conversation with him and, and I, and I, heard about urban farming and like on facebook and i always like like grow food not lawns and it's and it's just also uh michael rupert before he died um he talked about you know something cuba did when they the cuban embargo kind of happened and they knew they weren't going to get food from other countries one smart thing that castro did was say everybody just grow food everywhere you can and um and so i think you know for for me personally it's like man why don't we do that here there's so much wasted space especially in cities like city lots you know they you can in columbus ohio you can rent a lot for 10 bucks and they want you to take care of it because they don't want to pay somebody to go cut the lawn so right now they're giving you like a 250 gift card if you promise to take care of it the rest of your life pretty much uh it's a home depot so they'll give you 250 dollars to do that because that's a fair trade and uh but they also give you like access to um like a tool shed, which is pretty cool. But uh like recently just had a conversation with um my friend Joel, who I had on the podcast, and Joel's been doing the farming thing, but like back to what I was saying, I was listening to you and Charles talk about it and listening to you talk about like getting involved with the farmers market, which I I want to hear you talk about here in a bit, but uh then, you know, my buddy and I were talking about, you know, I'm about to get this house and we wanted to grow, it's in the city. And I'm like, man, I want to just grow peppers because there's all these rare peppers. We like, we like eating peppers. Like we like peppers. Like I I cook all, like all the meat I get, I cook it in peppers. Uh, Part of it is because of like the natural thermogenic thing, but I like, I like spicy, sweet food. And I like that, you know, mixing a sweet pepper and a spicy pepper in this blend. And I like rare peppers. I like spicy food and like I liked, you know, we had these ideas about hot sauces and everything. And then my buddy Joel randomly hit me up on Facebook about, and we, we were thinking about like, we could do this. And we were thinking about maybe making some clarified butter, selling clarified butter and some other things. And then it was like, uh, we, we had like all these different ideas about how to do it. And I wanted to reach out to Joel because I know he had been involved. And then he naturally just hit me up on Facebook asking me if I wanted to get involved, like not even knowing. So it's... Um, it's pretty exciting. So it's like, I'm, I'm starting, I feel like I'm starting to gear up and again, following your footsteps in a sense of like Mm -hmm. getting involved in a farmer's market, but really like, I'm I really want to get aggressive with growing food. I watched, uh, have you seen, um, uh, I think his name's like Ray Finley, the gangster gardener. No, no. He's out of like South central LA and he, he just started growing food on like the public, uh, like just like, you know, lots of, Land like in front of your house or something in between the sidewalk. So he, because he was like in a food desert, which for anybody that doesn't know what a food desert is, it's basically all you have is convenience stores and liquor stores around you. And there's no place to actually buy like apples that aren't canned or any right. vegetables that aren't canned. So he just out of, like, get being tired of making a 40-minute trip just to get an apple, um, he decided he just want to start growing food, and then the city wrote him a ticket and ultimately wrote a warrant. And he just, like, he did a TED Talk. It's awesome. He's just like, embrace your haters because your haters are <laughs> going to make you famous. And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, eating more vegetables eating you know eating clean food having a relationship with my food eventually i want to be connected to like listening to you say you know when you get meat at your farmers market you know it's a good one all the farmers markets in the columbus i think every neighborhood has a farmers market they all have you know grass fed meat and correct hopefully correct raised i mean the words the terms organic and everything like that can be really there's there's a lot of fuckery that goes on with that but um You know, it 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 was interesting to hear because it's like, it's, it's just kind of weird, Steve. Like I'll listen to something, like I'll look for something and I'll find some answers in a podcast that you did three, two years ago or something like that. So it's, wow, it's been like an interesting thing, man. It really is like when you said uncovering this relic, this podcast relic, (laughs) (laughs) it really is like that. The buried
0: treasure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't go back often and um listen to the old episodes cuz i've i've evolved so much since since then you know i've moved on to to different things the health thing was the one thing that stuck with me though you know um those podcasts like where i you know the the um Jules Dervais and uh um the stuff like that cuz he's very close to that um, gangster gardener he was the guy that turned his front lawn into a garden and then, um, and then created a like a, a farmers market on his front porch. Wow! Um, just the, out of us, like a tenth of an acre in San Diego, he he did this sort of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, going back to what you're saying, though, like you know, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say it's following him in, in my footsteps. I would say it's sort of like a natural evolution. Whatever it is we're doing, it's you know we're we're both kind of doing the same thing, and that is informing ourselves and then putting ourselves out there as like this new person and then seeing how that fits and then evolving to the next level you know what i'm saying i mean yeah. you're always consistently moving forward i'm not the same person i was even 2 years ago yeah um 5 years ago i can't i can't even recognize that person any longer and 10 years ago you know we're not even related anymore you know we don't even share the same genetic material
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you know, that's
0: the way i feel and that's a the, this forward forward moving and that comes from um constantly re-educating myself on, on different things now over time though i've become less susceptible to um falling for different sort of like logical fallacies you know yeah At, you know like um uh, like, I mean, there's there, there's certain things I'll trust and certain things I won't. And that's based off of like um, history, you know, the, this history that I have uh, of, of like, okay, I fell for that once before and I'm not yeah. going gonna to go down that road again. Um, so I, it's always moving forward, you know. I mean, I think that where I'm at right now, like the importance of my life because I'm 40 and I've got two kids and I've got a family and a business – is my focus is not on pointing fingers at government and saying all the things they're doing wrong because that's pointless. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't reward you in any way.
1: No, it doesn't.
0: Um, and talking about how there's all these things wrong with government. I mean, I heard you guys talk a little bit ago, um, a couple of podcasts back about regulatory capture. Um, you have no incentive to point your finger and yell at them, but they have all the incentive in the world to keep doing what they're doing because they're getting paid large amounts of money. You know, if you were to ask them what they're, what they're doing, they're saying, well, I'm doing my job, you know, I'm getting paid, getting paid very well for it. And what does it matter to you? Yeah. I mean, I know you're getting screwed over. Uh, you think hypothetically, you know, like, okay, I'm spending a little bit more on healthcare. Obviously me for a business owner, I'm spending, spending a lot of money on healthcare. Spending
1: way more. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible.
0: I'm getting creamed. (laughs) Um, on healthcare, as opposed to two years ago, um, ever since Obamacare was put into place, I don't understand how in the world people thought this was going to be cheaper.
1: Doesn't yeah. make any sense
0: to me. You know? Yeah, but, somebody's um,
1: getting paid though. Like the insurance companies are getting paid, and somebody, some politicians, definitely getting paid from from that whatever deal that 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 was made. People are getting paid. I mean, to, yeah. to me, whenever I see like something fucked up happen, I'm like, well, somebody's getting paid. I mean, that's just, and then it's just like, all right, it's time to. Time to move on. You know, it's out of my, I can just, I just got to deal with it and hopefully something changes, but yeah, I mean, you know, you can pound your chest all you want, but people aren't going to listen. I mean, the the biggest way to do it is just, you know, action, but, uh, I didn't mean to kind of get you off track there. No,
0: I, I I agree with you. The action part of it is like, what do you do? You protest or you march in the streets and, uh, and maybe, like, Zuccotti Park was a, was a good demonstration of people sort of, like, um, bucking the powers that be. And they lost. Yeah. They, they lost miserably. I mean, they just disappeared. It, it evaporated. The whole momentum was gone overnight. And it didn't, it didn't connect with anybody outside of the people in Zuccotti Park and people like myself doing a podcast and a few other people on chat boards. It didn't connect with mainstream America that much. Um,
1: it's it gone. It they was, didn't care because it wasn't a reality television show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. And like, look at the Edward Snowden. You th- I thought that was going to be a watershed moment.
1: And it wasn't. Yeah.
0: I mean, it didn't turn into what I thought it was going to be. There, It was some pushback from some, um, uh, some corporations in Silicon Valley. But for the most part, they're not good they're not going to stop doing what they're doing. You know, they're just going to consume more data because they can't, they got, they got the space to do it and they can, they're just going to grab more information on us. Um, because people who don't, you know, I'm a, a, a soccer mom in you know, Memphis, Tennessee doesn't care about that. No. You know, cause she's not doing anything wrong. She's yeah, just living and, her life. And yeah. so if they consume all the data in the world, well, all they're going to get is their terrible conversations. <laughs> Meanwhile, people who are trying to like, uh, make a difference in the world are being arrested and thrown into jail. It doesn't bother her. It doesn't affect her. It's it's not. So I don't I don't know how where the change is going to happen, um, but I, I just put down a book like three nights ago. This is a, kind of a, a sort of a, a little bit of a leap, but I think it makes sense. Is like um, the book was called Positively Fourth Street, and it's about Bob Dylan in Greenwich Village in his time where he went from a folk singer, you know, pointing his finger at government and writing songs like dusting or, uh, uh, blowing in the wind and a hard rain's going to fall. And all these, um, yeah, uh, all these, um, activist uh,
1: songs kind of what's that activist songs in a way Act-
0: activist songs. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they did like uh, peace marches and protests and stuff like that. And then he finally had enough and he was like, it's not going to affect any change at all. And then he started singing songs about, you know, Mr. Tambourine man, you know, um, and he started having fun and, And uh, that related more with people than, than the folk music. It was just over. It was just, he moved on. He, he evolved and he moved past it. And uh, he had a great quote in the book and I can't quote it right now, but I really felt that, that connected with me that he couldn't, he couldn't be negative and dour and sour all the time. He had a, he had to evolve and he did. And, you know, the Pete Seegers of the world and the Joan Baez are stuck in the folk scene. Well, Bob Dylan moved on you know he became a rock star
1: yeah it's uh, you know something I was thinking about is on Facebook with just cops killing people and it's like man I don't know nobody's gonna do shit about it so I just have to like know that it's happening and just move on you know what I mean like for me like that's something that I recently have done it's like man like yeah cops are fucked up they're stupid they're power hungry but you know, all I can do is is work on myself and control myself, and then, you know, if hopefully be prepared if somebody ever tries to fuck with me. But I, I yeah, I, I'm not gonna ever be able to just be powerful enough to to have you know cops being shitty. You know, something else is gonna have to change. And yeah, I mean, you can you can get it, it's 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 mainly like for me, you know. And I think what you're trying to say is that, you know. You just have to live your life. You can't yeah. like. It's easy to get sucked in, and it's easy to just be be bogged down by like all this uh, negative shit that's out there. But man, I mean, ultimately, you know, if you want to make a difference, take some action. And um, so is so is that kind of like what happened with you starting a farmers market, or how did the, how did that come about?
0: Well, here's okay. So it sounds that, uh, you know, I, I, had a negative, I moved on and I'm, and I'm just now watching reality television show, which is not the truth at all. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I still consume, I am an infovore.
1: Yeah. same here, Same. <laughs>
0: here. I, am, I, I love information. Um, the, and during the time of like, pod, uh, doing two beers with Steve, I was the info bomber, um, just dropping words of wisdom and stuff like that and, and creating content that was like informative. Um, but I am an infovore and I can't, Stop it. You know, I just love more and more information all the time. Um, so a couple books that really, two books that really changed my life and I read them back to back is um, Kevin Kelly's book, um, What Technology Wants. And it's, it, for everybody reading or listening right now, it is, it is mandatory reading um, because it sort of talks about the evolution of like, um, of what we're talking about, like um, um, change change is a constant and there's like, and you can kind of see it in the world around us right now is that like um, you can't move forward until all the building blocks are there. And somebody puts all the building blocks together and builds something new and creative and it changes the fricking world. And a lot of people will attribute that change of the world to a person being such a genius. So like the day that Alexander Graham Bell went into like patent the telephone, he wasn't the only guy there patting the telephone at the very same time. You know, what had happened was that all the building blocks were there. They could finally put all the pieces together. It was all there. Look at the, look at anything that we got to have right now is like um, um, with like the iPod or – some someone obviously does it with some flair like Steve Jobs, but he wasn't the first to invent the iPod. The iPod – I mean I saw the iPod in like 19 – actually 2000. I saw the iPod for the first time in 2000 when I was in um, Amsterdam. And then like four years later – it's like the big rage. It was like the new thing. I was like, I've seen this already. Yeah. But he, but the way he did it, like being having the ability to to not have to con- constantly fuck with your computer, like to get it to work, he made it simple. Like, but he married software with a product. Yeah. But it was all there. It was all right there, and and we're seeing it all the time. Like someone's like taking a cell phone and like you know like Uber and D- and Airbnb and all these all things all these are products of like. The building blocks just coming from all these different directions and um, someone putting them together you know in a new and inventive way and so and, and it's been going on our entire time as a species is like we're always constantly assembling even before we were like um, thinking human beings at a cellular level, we were constantly assembling and trying new and varied things to come up with something creative and new. Um, and you have to read that book. It's called What Technology Wants by Kevin Kelly. It changed my life Is like, okay, you know, we're, even though like we're in this uh, peak oil crisis, people are going to find a way out of it. I don't know how. And sure enough, um, I I got a book on my shelf right now called The Frackers. Some guys freaking did it. You know, they, they took huge risks that four years before them didn't pan out, but because the technology was to a new level, it worked for them. You know, some guys lost like a hundred million dollars, you know, his com- company folded up, evaporated away. But the next guy, he puts the same hundred million dollars down and now he's a, you know, 50, 60 billion dollars. You know, he's just got this continental um, oil company. Um, so it's like, it's. It's it's all about timing, and and now, like, I mean, gas prices are cheaper than they were, like, in 2008, you know, and it's just, like, things are in reverse, and gas prices are less than they were, geez, I mean, the bottoms fell out on them.
1: Yeah, I don't know what gas, actually, gas kind of went up 30 cents here, I was kind of bummed out, but, I mean, it's still less than...
0: Well, have you ever tried to make your own fuel?
1: (laughs) No, no, I haven't. I have. (laughs) I I, I thought I wanted to actually do biodiesel. I did. With my dad. Uh, Him and I talked about like starting a biodiesel business back in like 2008. And it was like this idea but like I didn't necessarily know how to take action like I do now. I just didn't. um,
0: Right. Well, I did it. I I was like um – I thought that was, I bought a Mercedes 240D 1981 um, and I was going to run biodiesel. And then, so I went out and I made a batch of it and I said, you know, diesel is going to have to be above $10 a gallon before I ever do that again.
1: Yeah. Was it just too much of a hassle?
0: It's so much work. Yeah. Work. Yeah. Less, less
1: work than growing food. (laughs) Well, that's
0: therapeutic, right? I mean, you're outside and you know, like, um, it's, it's just good work. And the thing about like, um, growing my garden though, is every summer it's, it's good time for me to get outside and throw a podcast on and spend an hour and, and like, Got get two things accomplished at the same time. You know, I kicked out a one hour podcast and I I was able to like uh, weed my garden and and take care of it. Um, I've got the whole gardening thing down actually. I mean, uh, for what I grow, I've, I've got raised beds and, uh, I, I'm, I created all my own soil and I mean, I got, I got a good thing going. So
1: yeah, that whole, um, I mean, the great thing about that food, like food, growing food in farmer's markets, like I mean, my eyes are just open to this. Like, you can literally sell every piece of waste that you have. Extra seeds you can sell. Your soil you can sell. Your mulch you can sell. Your, you know, um, fertilizer you can sell. Like, whatever you make, you can always make an excess and, and have it pay for itself at a farmer's market or something like that. Or even just... However yeah, but, the,
0: but the amount of time I mean if if I could see someone making like a if I wasn't doing what I was doing I, I probably would have gone that route because it's so enjoyable and it's so much fun and but it's not a whole lot of pay but it's um I would say like um you know what is I mean the the, the you know the 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 meaning of the meaning of life or what whatever you know like I enjoy, I really enjoy my life the way it is now if I didn't I would find something else to do Yeah uh, I'm a funeral director I I get to perform the highest level of service you can do for somebody else. Um, I used to sell a lot of things. I sold men's suits. I sold newspapers. I sold, you know, uh, um, drinks. I, I mean, I just, I sold a lot of things in my life, but no one's ever hugged me when it was all, and the transaction was all done and said, you did a fantastic job. So in that sense, I, I perform like a job that I'm very like happy about. It's like, I have the job in which I go to work every day and, uh, I don't feel like I work. I feel like I i i do something different it's That's it's good so i in that sense i'm i'm very blessed
1: how did um, you um so how did you get involved in um the funeral business was that was that a family business or did you just like it was
0: work? my wife's family business and i um i sort of like uh I Because of my happy and positive personality i, I was like i can 't i can 't do this i, I couldn 't do what you do and i I came in and I, I looked at it and I really evaluated it before I made a big leap because I had a very successful job in the steel business as a broker and a dealer um, but I, I but it was a very successful. But at the same time, is when I was driving to work, I was like, you know, if I got a car accident today, that would be an excusable reason not to go to work (laughs) today, and that would be a good thing. And when you when you're driving to work and and you just dread it, you know, Um, some people just aren't cut out for like the wild swings of the market, you know. And I just wasn't, you know.
1: I don't think anybody is, man. I honestly don't think anybody's cut out for it. I think it's like you. I think sometimes, man, the way I look at the market is. Like I see it as like this stream of you know kind of like okay, so just look at a river, right, and I feel like everybody just gets caught in this river that's a that's a big circle, right, and then eventually you'll you'll jump out of the river, but you might not like and you can have a time and you can acknowledge the river that it's it's this this circle that's flowing, and you don't wanna get back in, but you don't necessarily have the tools. To be able to just stick your hand in the river and just pull out the fish that you need to pull out, so you don't completely know how to fish yet. So then I, I have to like I keep swimming after and chasing fish. Like I feel like that's how most people are. I feel like you know instead of instead of learning how to catch the fish, they 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 just jump in the ocean and or jump in the river and try to swim after the fish. If that makes sense. Like there's not. Uh, I I don't know if that was an awful analogy, but it made sense in my head. So.
0: Yeah, well, I've been drinking whiskey for the past hour,
1: so.
0: <laughs> Uh it's a little hard to follow on the whole fish
1: and the swimming. And, okay, well, but. <laughs> you can, but you know what I mean? Like, if you think about yeah, it, no. like, like know, knowing how to, like, I think it's like, um, I think the way the market is, is like, you just have to know how to put your hand in and grab, grab, you know, the benefits of it instead of just being, it's like, instead of, Being, uh, it's like imposing your will on the market instead of letting it impose its will on you, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I kind of see that in a way, uh, it, there's so many variables to the market. Like, you know, just so take for instance, in the steel industry, like, um, like I think about 2003, they Bush enacted like a steel embargo, like against Chinese guys that, um, they couldn't. Uh, they had. To, they had to raise their prices or whatever. Well, at the same exact time, like this entire country was building out a brand new infrastructure based out of steel, and prices skyrocketed, which negated any embargo, you know, or like tariff they put on Chinese steel at all. So it was like, it was, it was gone. Like, so so here we were preparing for this tariff to be on Chinese steel that we were importing and that everything was, all prices were going to head up to about this number. Like the entire country chose a different path and prices went through the roof. It was the best time to be in the steel business ever. Um, and I was there, I was, I, I was riding it high. Um, but, you know, you just, there, there's the, the variables, no one could see it, you know? Um, yeah. It was just, it was too too complicated. And the other thing is like when I about 2006, when I got out of it, it was like, um, you know, we knew as, as a steel industry that we had overbuilt and people had overinvested. Okay. So we knew like as when high prices, like we were, you know, for new steel, um, uh, for like, if it was going to be, um, sort of fabricated at all was like going for 80 cents a pound. Whereas like in 2001, it was going for about maybe 30 cents a pound. Okay. That, could, that just tells you the the increase. So 80 cents a pound, and we knew that um, that things were going to all roll back on us because we there was too much overinvestment. You know, um, people were getting into the market that probably shouldn't have been there, and we all knew it. You know, shouldn't have been buying steel. Um, did we think it was going to be related to the entire economy? There's no way. You, you, that was a variable no one saw. No one saw how these credit default swaps and yeah. all these backdoor things and just stuff that was like you know unintended, like you know, someone's got to sell off. You know, because someone's business is going downhill over in this area, they got to sell off all their stuff over in this area. And, and someone's going, hey, we're not even related to that market.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But somehow
0: you are. You're all, you're all tied in.
1: Because of the government. Um,
0: <laughs> like the Hunt brothers, you know, like uh, when the Hunt brothers who tried to corner the, steel mar- or the silver market, you know, they had to sell off all of their silver. Well, they're also heavily leveraged in the cattle market in Texas. So the cattle market, which had nothing to do with the silver market, <laughs> got hammered and And people went out of business so like in the entire like economy of like cattle was depressed for years after the hunt brothers pulled their little scheme on in the silver market. The two weren't related at all, but they were because people had were heavily invested so yeah, um, that makes nah, sense little little financial um trivia for you but
1: yeah thats that was pretty that was pretty uh educational and so we kind of got we kind of went down a rabbit hole, but uh oh yeah. Thanks to Amazon and me putting that book in your wish list. What's the second book you recommend everybody to read?
0: So, um, so you had, well, I got lots of books, but, um, I would <laughs> say what technology wants hands down, it's gotta be the book that everybody reads. Um, and then at the same time I read that one, I read the rational optimist by Matt Ridley, but I would say that's the, that's the one, um, that I would suggest because it's just another book that just is, maybe if it pulls you off the, edge the, the, the edge of the cliff I would say yeah go ahead and read it because it actually says yeah I understand this is bad yeah I understand this is bad yeah I understand this is bad but this is why I think it's gonna be better in the end yeah it's the, it's the rational optimist by Matt Ridley um,
1: yeah my friend uh, actually started a website I think because of that book called uh, Radical Optimism and it's just that he, his whole website's just about how like even if you take the statistics like this is still better we're still living better than what we ever had in a sense mm-hmm
0: yeah. Um but I would say like to me the the next probably life-changing one was I mean it has to be the parenting thing. It was like um I'm not the dad that I thought I was going to be um at all. That's interesting. Uh, so, I came I came up from pretty like you know um I don't know I'm, like impoverished uh, beginnings and and I joined the military at high school out of uh necessity. <laughs> um so and I got the mentality of the military when I was in there f- to some degree. And then when I, and I sort of held on to that, you know, that sort of mentality and then to like kids. And then, um, me and Chris Stefano were kind of sort of struggling with the same issues at the same time. Chris is a friend of yours, friend of mine. And, uh, he, he, um, suggested, uh, parent effectiveness training. And that just kind of gave me the tools I needed to, um, be a better parent.
1: So how do you, what do you mean? Like you weren't the parent you thought you were going to be, like you weren't executing as a parent, like you would have liked to, or?
0: Well, you know, I always had this vision in my head. I was like, you know, the kids have it too easy nowadays. You know, they need to grow up like a, you know, tough neighborhood. Um, I would like to have my kids go to like a a public school and, you know, and, and deal with the the pressures of going to public school like I had to do and, um, you know, deal with the, the bullying and, um, you know, cause that's like sort of developed a personality in me that like I could escape like bullying because I was like really funny, you know, or, you know, I, I created that skill or, you know, I was in, or I was artistic and stuff like that. So it was like, it gave me sort of like these, these abilities to sort of cope with what was going on around me.
1: Yeah. And so
0: I felt that was like, I thought that was valuable. You know, I thought those things were valuable. And then they, they are, I mean, to be funny and to be charismatic and, to be everybody's buddy, um, is, you know, to, to relate to different people, um, was helpful and having art, artistic talents is very helpful. Um, and I thought to do that, I had to force my kids to the same child that I had, <laughs> which I thought was miserable, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing would be like, um, uh, as far as like, um, uh, corporal punishment and uh, hitting my kids and stuff like that. Um, I grew up with that. I turned out just fine. So, so, as I tell myself, um, where I, 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 the first time I had to like perform, hit a kid, I was like, this is, this doesn't like jive with everything else that I'm teaching myself right now in this moment. Cause I was like teaching myself about the, um, uh, the non aggression principle, you know? Um, and, yeah. You know, so just these things, you know, the anarchist way, you know, because I, I eventually evolved from a socialist into an anarchist. Uh, I wasn't even an, an unknowing socialist. Actually, yeah. coming out of the military, I was a socialist. You know, I really believed in the, the, the military structure. And it is socialism. You know, it is like um, – it's probably more uh, – I don't know what it would be, more more fascist or – it's – communist i don't know what it really is the way it's set
1: up um it's fucked up whatever it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah.
0: so um so having to perform like corporal punishment on a child i i just couldn't do it I, so, it just it didn't jive with me so i i had to i just it flipped me on my head I, I had to dig deeper into the books and figure out something and so at the same time i was talking to other people and chris was one of them
1: so did you uh chris is brilliant by the way i love chris i need to yeah. i need to work with him more it's just like Finding—we just have to completely different schedules. It's so hard, like, because uh, he's got, like, this—I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. It's just different schedules. <laughs> it's harder to mold. And uh, But, um, uh, uh, yeah, so, so, okay, so you became a better parent. Like, to kind of talk more about the farmer's market, like, I know you're in sales, and I know for me, like, I think everybody needs to learn to sell. Like, whether it be at a trade show or whatever, just getting that experience, I think— helps you express yourself uh in a in a, in a it, it helps you it for me it's helped me just learn to express myself in a in a way that's sensitive to other people because I want I want to be able to guide a conversation so we can have a win-win solution and I think uh and I think you know being in sales and you know reading books like 7 habits of highly effective people and uh, I think for sales books, uh, um, Frank Be- Frank Bedker's "How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling." I don't know if you've ever checked that out. That's a that's a I've cool. read all those books. Yeah, 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 great. I mean, Frank Bedker, I love his story about just hustling and being enthusiastic. But, um, uh you know, like I think. Like so when you were doing that stuff did you ever take your kids and like say like take them to the the market to sell and um and actually how did you so did you start the farmers market or what uh, did you Yeah
0: work? I was uh, I was the driving force I was the passion and the energy to get it started cuz it was everybody wanted one you know but it takes it takes momentum and passion to get it off the ground and the thing was is like um I you know, I've, I've been, like I said, I want to go back and say like since I was in 13, I've been selling stuff, you know, so that's 27 years of like experience, you know, yeah, uh, of sales. And I could like do an entire hour long podcast with you about sales because, and I think you'd, you'd probably join in and agree with a lot with what I've said because the sales world has changed so oh, much yeah. in the past, since the internet. I mean, it, the way people sell you. 10 years ago doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Which I I love.
1: I do too. I do too. And one thing is like, I'll sit in meetings still and I work at a, I I work at a large telecommunications corporation. And a lot of times like, you know, I want to value, like the weird thing is like, you know, what corporations will tell you, like what value is, isn't really what, what what is value. And like, to me too, like I, I have to stay in this moral compass and, And I don't play the game of I'm going to lie to them and then I'm going to pretend like I'm going to do this just to do this. I mean, sometimes you have to like people want to have a negotiation thing. And I've I've realized like so I have to like set a price high even though I want to give it to them for a lower price. Just because yeah. I think something that I'm charging is bullshit or something like that, but the internet has forced you to be honest. You can't say yeah, that. you right. can't say bullshit and like you know something. I always love like, and I've said it so many times. Zig Ziglar said, "I would never want somebody to say I could sell ice to an Eskimo because I'm not a salesperson. I, I'm a con man if I do that." Yeah. So, yeah. well, um. Sorry about that. I didn't we'll, we'll,
0: we'll touch on the farmers market real quick. It's, it's yeah. going well. It went well. It was a <laughs> success all the way around. We we hit it. We touched it. Um, because I think it's, to me, that was like, um,
1: it's just not. It's just you've I'm moved so on. involved
0: in my community because that's where I eventually um everything two beers from Steve, all the passion just got pushed into like you know, coordinating five K's and starting a farmer's market and being on a part of like, I sit on three boards now. I used to sit on four. At some another point. I'm very active in the community. Ultimately, like you have to go local to really make a difference, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, what, so what, what kind I know, of boards, I know you're feeling it, that way. Um, is it the like sale, the sales? You just really got me. I all almost got me all fired up. <laughs> like, I could go another hour on that.
1: <laughs> we, we can, uh, I mean, we could always do that again. It's getting late. Um, I'd love to ha I don't know, do you want to wrap it up now? Do you wanna keep talking, Steve? How, how are you feeling? Am I getting you I know it's getting late for you, so that's why um
0: No, um I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I everybody's in bed right now, so I'm I'm like you got me on a Friday night and <laughs> yeah, you uh, got your I whiskey. got like uh, just a quarter of a bottle of Jameson left.
1: Nice. Okay. <laughs> well, so like so to pick your brain some more, so you, you started a farmer's market to get in your community, so so what? um, because that's, that was something I want to say. Cause the story, the
0: story of the farmer's market actually came out of like, there was a, there was like a sort of a meetup of people talking about like what we can do actionable stuff that can change our government, you know? Yeah. And I was looking around the room, like we're just, we're just like 30 guys, white guys in a room in the, in the Midwest. And we have no, we can have no impact outside of this room, you know? And we, there are people bringing up stuff that like we can't do anything about. And I just sort of stood up and I said, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. And so, they were like, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to start a farmer's market. And they just, they couldn't put all the points together. And I left. I never went back.
1: And um, what was this meeting? So what was that? Was that? Uh, it was,
0: it was, it was the times. It was the zeitgeist of the times. It was that like people were upset. Fox News was pumping people full of like um, information uh, about, our, about our, how our government's going downhill. And it certainly was. I mean, put Bush, Obama, it doesn't matter who's in power. They do the um, same thing. They do the same thing, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, Chris made this awesome point on my podcast about whenever, uh, whenever a liberal, whenever somebody who represents civil rights is in office, like a Democrat, they take away more civil rights. Whenever, <laughs> whenever, uh, whenever it's somebody that's preaching about how big government is, they make the government bigger.
0: Yeah, you're right, and they do.
1: That was, I mean, that was all Chris. Chris like went into it, and I was like, man, that's perfect. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, expansion of government, yeah, under well, Bush. I mean, is an unbelievable I and mean, look at the the yeah. national federal debt under his watch
1: yeah and look at and then look at you know a civil rights attorney and how many fucking rights he's taken away oh from yeah Obama. Right. but we could know, we
0: can go down that path we
1: could we could we don't we don't need to though we're we are going to to we're gonna stay positive <laughs> so what i want to go to is so okay so how did you get so you said fox news the times like uh i mean was so that when you were in this room with 30 other guys like was it it was an organization called the the times, or you just meant like that? This is the time that it was. It was kind of the time that was going on. Like all it these was, people, it there. was the
0: zeitgeist of the times. Is what basically what I'm trying to say. But it, yeah. it was just a bunch of people, like um, uh, angry white guys, you know. And uh, it but, it was nothing. It, it was like there was lawyers and community leaders that were all in this room. And okay. In fact, at one point, we got a congressman to even join us, and uh, and he just sort of like. Um, agreed with everything we we're saying you know i mean um but it was just you know it's, i mean he's telling us what we want to hear he's,
1: yeah yep yeah. you know, so what, so this was like, this was like a city hall meeting or what what was uh, it
0: this? it was just a guy a bunch of guys that got together and met and wanted to make a difference
1: so how did you guys collaborate initially
0: um, well, I mean, basically, it's just a like people get stood up and gave presentations. I gave presentations about the Federal Reserve. Um, I was, you know, I, I was was it just like I, a, a because I had the forum? podcast, I was a little okay. more um, eloquent on on my speeches and stuff like and my point of views, and so I had a lot of people sway. And so when I when I left um, there, I, it just sort of evaporated. And I was like, I, at that point I was like, I'd, I'd moved on. I'd, I'd, I'd figured that that was like, um, community, local, eventually, you know, you go, you go big, like, let's say, you know, like Bob Dylan going, going big, pointing your finger at the man and then finally saying, you know what, this is what makes me happy is making music that makes other people happy. And, and he left, he left the scene, you know? Yeah. The scene was a drag, man.
1: (laughs) So, so was this like, so I guess like I'm trying to figure out, so did you just, was it like a public forum? And it you guys was. would meet at like like city, like a, a city, a spot in the city, like a fire hall or something. And then, Yeah,
0: we met at a banquet hall. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then so, so you got involved initially because you're like, you know what, I wanna I wanna be a part of my community. I'm doing this podcast. I'm talking about starting local. So I'm gonna go get involved at this uh, this public forum and we're going to um we're going to uh we're gonna see what we can do as a
0: group. Yeah. We we wanted to like um, make a, an impact. I'm in Illinois. I'm in the Midwest, and I, we wanted to make an impact on our state government, and it went nowhere.
1: Yeah, um, was just, it mainly just different people just trying to pull the group in different directions and sort of that sort of thing, or?
0: Um, I don't think we ever got that far. We, didn't, you know, <laughs> I, I I saw that happen in Sakati Park, where it's like everybody's like, okay, yeah. we're all here. Let's. Let's, we got all this energy, this all, all this momentum. Which direction are we going? And they couldn't figure out which direction they're going. Yeah. You know, cause, um, but I I still think, um, you know, like it's good to do those sort of things. Like every kid in their 20s who comes from like a a privileged family always goes out and does like gets arrested for some protest or something. Um, They learn, you learn a ton from that, you know? Yeah. But that's not how you get things done. No. You know, I mean, look at all the kids of the 60s, you know, and then they, they, they settled in Silicon Valley and they changed the world. Yeah. Um, they, all, they, they went ahead and they, they left, uh, you know, mainstream life and they created these communes and they all collapsed one after the other. And everybody could look at those communes like as failures in the 70s, you know. But all those guys, I mean, read the like Steve Jobs of the world. Um, there's, there's there's a few others that I know of that they were part of. Like even Kevin, even Kelvin Kelly himself was a part of that sort of like hippie, um, you know, like um, utopia. Um, but they eventually left and got real jobs and uh, and changed the freaking world, you know, um, in ways that no one could have seen ahead of time. And those kids right now, that if we look at the Scotty Park type kids and um, people coming out of college in 2008 uh, left college and are sort of looking for a new path. The reality is evaporated for them and they're finding a new path. And I really see some optimism in that is that they'll eventually find something that that's meaningful for them and they'll throw their whole life behind it. And it'll, it'll change the world. You know, I, um, stuff like Uber, uh, Airbnb.
1: Yeah. Those, I'm I'm so
0: positive behind those.
1: The share economy is incredible.
0: The shared economy, yeah, like the, the fact that you can have like um, no car, no house, you know, and no way to get around, uh, and yet still survive.
1: Yeah, or you just have those pay for themselves with Airbnb and Uber. From the other perspective, like
0: yeah, and I, and I love the fact that like uh, you know they're, they're trying to shut down these these Airbnbs and Ubers and stuff like that. I love the resistance because yeah. they'll fail.
1: It's it's not yeah they can't stop it. It's too. It resonates too much with people. I mean, the the cab, uh, yeah, like the, in uh, Columbus.
0: That's that where you live? (laughs) Yeah, I live in Columbus,
1: Ohio. Yeah. So, um, so Columbus is actually completely different than the rest of Ohio. Like it's like, I'm originally from Toledo.
0: Well, it's a Republican bedrock in the whole state. And then right there in Columbus, isn't it like all liberal?
1: No. So it's, uh, it's, it's weird, man. So it's, uh, the university really... So we have like one of the largest universities in the world. And then we have a few really rich families that actually do give to the city, like the Wexners and uh, the Wolf family and some other families. But it's like, you know, we have a we have like we have like the third densest gay population. We have we're the number one test market in the in the country. So everything gets tested here because if it can survive in Columbus, it will survive everywhere except for L.A. and New York City. So it's like, it's, it's like a proven, like it's, it's a special place. I don't know if it's because of university, but people think differently here. And like, it's, it's, it's progressive in the true sense of the word, not the, like the, you know, the ugly word that's, it's become, (laughs) Um, but like, so, so there's a lot of things that like locally sourced restaurants are popping off here. Food trucks are popping off here. And then Uber came and Uber just started to explode here. And so then Lyft came. So it was doing really well, and the sh- the cabs here were fucking terrible. Like, we had awful, like, Columbus is spread out. We don't have good public transportation. They they were going to try to build a monorail in Columbus, and it got shot down because it was going to be too expensive. So, you know, there's a private solution, Uber. So, you know, you can just pay 10 bucks and get anywhere across the city, maybe $20, and you can go from one side of the city to the other, and, you know, spend a, 20 minutes in a car and only pay, you know, 15 18 bucks depending on what the pricing is at the time. It's a it's a solid deal. So I remember yeah. um you know OSU game before Uber came, I was I was trying to go down to tailgate. I was I was uh gamefully unemployed at the time and uh I you know I didn't have my license at the time and I um so I called a cab and I waited 5 hours and I called every single cab company in town. And each of them just kept telling me, yeah, buddy, I know there's someone coming, 20 minutes. And then they just stopped answering my calls. And then it was just like, man, like this service is garbage. Then I get in a cab and somebody smells bad and then they're rude to you and then they rip you off. And then there's Uber and it's, there's, there's a whole system of checks and balances. It's about somebody reviews you, you review them. And, you know, it's, 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 it's honesty. It kind of democratizes the transaction, um, I don't know if that's the correct word, but I'm going to roll with it. Yeah.
0: It, no, I, I uh, well, it's all linked to your Facebook account, which is your, your yeah. online life, you know, and your, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a reality. It's linked to re- your real life.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and Uber is just so powerful. And so to, to get back to it, um, cause I just explained Uber, which both everybody probably already knows what it is. So what happened then was the cabs started, the cab lobby starts pressuring the city and they're like, you know, these people aren't licensed. So then they, they create these peer-to-peer licenses. And they make all the drivers pay like $200 to go get these bullshit licenses so they can keep doing what they're doing. So then they do it. And Uber, I think Uber helped them pay for it too. And Lyft did it too. And then, um, so everything's going well. And then like, it's it's like the city is just basically kind of like being a gangster and it's who, who's ever going to pay the city more money. They're going to throw bullshit regulations at. So Uber, what I like about Uber is they have so much money. They don't care. Like they're just like, yeah, take us to court. We don't care. Like you can't like, and I kind of like that mentality, like that, that renegade. I'm just going to, I'm just going to bull rush you. Like I don't, I don't give a shit. You're not going to stop me. And that's what I feel like with Uber and Airbnb is, Airbnb getting there too. So it's, it's a, uh, it's pretty exciting. I mean, Airbnb is huge here. Um, Airbnb is pretty big everywhere, and now there's a yeah. there's a new Dutch share economy app that's coming out. I don't know the name of it; I forget it. But um, it's like you can share your shit pretty much. So if you have podcasting gear, let's say I'm in town and I want to rent some podcasting gear because I forgot mine, I could rent your gear and go use it and put it back and bring it back to you, and I could pay you so much money to rent it for a day or so many hours. It's and you can just do that in between each other. So that's the idea behind that one. So this one, instead of your house or your car, it's your shit. So yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, Steve. I feel like I just took a, I just, <laughs> I just took an anchor and threw it in the conversation there.
0: Well, I don't, I don't worry. But I, I, I agree. I hundred percent agree. That's going to change the. It's going to change going forward. So I, I think i was talking about the kids coming out of school nowadays, and yeah, and uh, yeah. um, that's why I'm positive. You know, ultimately, it's, everything's going to. So, you know, it's not, it's not one person, it's an, it's gotta be, a, um, a, a generational shift, you know, it's gotta be hundreds of thousands of people moving in a single direction, you know, and it's, it's, it's done, um, it's done over the course of decades in some cases, you know, so I'm, I'm not looking for some overnight solution, like going into Washington, you know, change never happens from Washington, um, from within, no. You know, yeah. I just, it, it does The only thing that comes out of Washington is, is taxes and, uh, wars.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, it's the only thing, um, if, 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 what really changes is, is the, the populace just becomes disinterested. They no longer like, all right, we're not, we're not even pissed anymore. Cause it just, it's not even reality. It's like not even, um, it's not even real to us anymore. Um, and they just turn off and then, and then they have to scramble to get our attention again. Yeah, but They def- they definitely have our attention right now. They have, there's no, we have no other alternative, but so to me, it's like, okay, I, I, I pay my taxes. I, I play by the rules and I live my life and I make choices like, uh, participating with Airbnb. I support podcasts. Um, you know, I'm still support. I, I mean, I, I still keep on choice, turn to choice conversations. I still continue to support it. I, su- I support about three or four other podcasts as well. Um, just cause I just. I just I think that's such an important like thing that there's such a low barrier to entry too to get into podcasting. You have a microphone and an internet connection and you're on.
1: Yeah. I think you sound know, quality though is really important. That's the biggest thing.
0: Sound quality does matter. Yeah. Um and and topics and, and you yeah. know, and um good guests and
1: yeah. But uh yeah. Not not being a host and not throwing an anchor in a conversation and just no, just <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> no. making fun of myself we're, we're having a we're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. If anybody
0: stuck around this long, my God. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think I think they will. I think you're an entertaining guy, and uh, yeah, I think. Um, so so basically, the kind of and I might I think I might break this up into two episodes. Quite honestly, um, just because it's so great, Steve. We need more two beers of Steve.
0: Really? Okay, all right. Well, I I've, I'm just. I never know what's interesting, you know, I just
1: oh uh, I, I think I think people talking's interesting, even if you don't listen like having a positive conversation, an honest discussion of ideas. when I talked to Gino Denning, that was something that he said people need to focus on. It's just a, a discussion of ideas not not a combat and a conversation yeah. and it's uh but uh we were talking about you um to get back on track. So (laughs) you have
0: some bullet points to hit.
1: Yeah. I still want to hit these bullet points. So, so you did the, you started the farmer's market. Uh, we were talking about your kids and the sales and I got you fired up with sales and we were going to get into sales. Um,
0: do do you want me, if, if we can talk a little bit about sales? Yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, here's, here's what my experience has been and you can sort of jump in and relate to whatever you think is, uh, right. So, I don't know how much time I have, but I, I if you're, if you're going to allow me a little time, I'll talk about like you can, my, um,
1: you can, you can, you have as much time as you want. It's Friday night.
0: So, yeah. So I, I actually, when I talk to people, I talk about like my first job was, um, in a, well, first of all, I delivered papers so that I could afford, you know, this is like going back, I was 13. So maybe we're talking 1985 or something or, or not, maybe 1987, <laughs> 1988. I mean, my math is terrible. Um, <laughs> but I wanted um, the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. Now anybody who's 40 years old knows, knows what that is. So I worked my ass off when I was 13 to like get the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, which is like this en- enormous, may- maybe nowadays it wouldn't be so enormous. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see the physical size of it. Cause you know how when you're look back on stuff as a kid, yeah. you're like, Oh, I think it wasn't that, thick of that so great after all, you know, <laughs> the, but you know, like I, like my kids have so much awesome shit. Like it's, It's unbelievable. And they don't even play with it. You know, like I got like a, a, like this sort of knock hockey table with me and my brother and we built our, our fucking life around that thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was like, you couldn't wait to get home to play it for five hours. And then the next day, play it again for five hours. And on Saturday, you got to play it for like 14 straight hours. My kids don't uh, have that same mentality, but, um, so I worked, I worked towards that goal. And then I got my first job in a restaurant. Um, and I I was so naive to it. The lady said, her name was Patty Rizzo. She said, "I'm going to pay you under the table," and I w- I thought, well, okay, if you just want, if we're just going to like reach our hands underneath the table and pay <laughs> each other. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I mean, I really did think that I had to go home. I had to have had my older brother who had a job elsewhere, um, was like, yeah, you, they don't pay on a table. That's stupid. They pay you like without any taxes. Like, oh, okay. It's $3.80 an hour is what I made. Um, but I watched Patty Rizzo. So Patty Rizzo had this Mexican restaurant in Utica, New York. And, uh, and she would pack the house. I mean, all Italians working at a Mexican restaurant. Um, but it worked, you know, cause Patty Rizzo packed the house. The food was like all microwaved, everything was microwaved or deep fried or, you know, it was just simple stuff. Didn't taste that great, but she packed the house every night because she, she moved table to table, to table, to table, to table, talking to everybody, making them feel special. And, and people would always, they'd raise their hands in the air and they go, Patty, Patty, come on over They wave her over and she comes sit down and it made them feel special that like the owner of the restaurant was coming to talk to them. You know, and I had, while I was working there, I worked for like four years there. I saw so many head cooks quit and say, this place is going down the tubes um, because uh, I'm I'm leaving here. And I was, and I'm the one holding this all together. You know, I'm the head cook. And they, and she, he'd leave like on a Friday night, of course, you know, the busiest time. And we managed and people still came in. People didn't care about a head cook. You know, what it was, was that personal experience they got from Patty. The food was terrible, yeah. but they felt like, um, I learned something from her, like, you know, like that uh, um, they, they like to be constantly uh, talked to, or like you know that'm this is in a restaurant, you know when, I, when the owner comes and sits down with me, I feel like, "Wow, this is a really special event," or you know um, I, I learned that, that 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 character from her, and I was a very shy kid, you know, very like introverted, um, but I just sort of observed her now, um, I, I, I use that today in my funeral business because I talk to everybody who comes in the door you know, and they, all, and they all love to talk to the guy that owns, you know, owns the place, you know what I'm saying? I, I yeah, just, yeah. and I think there's, there's something to it. There's a, there's a feeling they get when, you know, I walk up to a bunch of people and I talk to them and, and they know that the, it's the owner, even though it's not even that important that, it you know, what I say or whatever, it's just that touch. It's that, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that like, even like when I was in sales for steel, or whatever, I'd call guys just to talk to them about sports and stuff like that. And it's, you know, if they had the time, they'd indulged me you know and and we created that relationship you know
1: absolutely so, yeah building building relationships is such a key thing like relationships are what is what really makes you money and sales not not being not knowing the product the best like that helps but I mean being able to build a relationship with a person and make them feel special and actually give a shit about them like not just like just have some f- phony relationship you know what I mean
0: yeah, I'm going to skip over right now and talk about like um, when I was in the steel business, you know, I was just getting started in the steel business and everybody had built relationships over 30 years. Um, this one time I got an order from a guy, like actually what happened was I faxed out like these, When that was in the days of mass faxes. I, I would just send out these mass faxes. And I happened to get the numbers wrong on the the thickness of the steel and the price, <laughs> which were two very important things, you know, the yeah. price being the most important. And he was like, wow, this guy's selling this for this price. He calls me up right away. He was like the biggest um, steel pipe buyer in the Northwest, the biggest, because he, he had cracked into the Arizona market. So he was like, he had, um, he was building brand new cities in Arizona and Tucson Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Carson city, Nevada, um, Reno, Nevada, and, um, Vallejo, California and Mesa, Arizona too. So he had cracked into that market doing this special steel pipe stuff, whatever. And, uh, I I had him on the phone and I told him, I couldn't get him that. And he says, I'm going to give you one, one shot at this or whatever. Give me a price on this. And so, um, I did it and uh, i I got the pr- I did the price we, we we were almost like barely losing money, but to, just to get the deal, we took the deal and when it showed up at his place um he had shut down shop um and this is kind of a long story, but he he shut you're, down you're- shop and he wasn 't going to accept delivery till like Monday, so I had to find a place for this thing to stay over the weekend. Um, and this is like truckloads, truckloads of stuff, but I solved the problem. You know, it was like, it was like, uh, and I found this place just two miles from this place that, that could unload and pick it up. And, and I told him about it. He goes, oh, I didn't even know they did that. There's two miles down the road and I didn't even know they did that. But, and so I solved that problem. And he said, I I just want a guy who's going to solve problems for me like that, you know? Um, and so I was, I was hired on, uh, with them and, these guys, and they, they sort of made me, you know, one big customer just makes you, you know, he's like, yeah. he's most of your business. And this guy, these guys were most of my business, you know, I went from being a nobody to being like the number, you know, five salesman in the company, number four salesman in the company, number three salesman in the company. Um, but an older guy told me, he said, he said, you know, that don't, as much as they want you in this company to work for them, you work somewhere between this company and that company. You know, you you don't think of your, you. You might get a paycheck from this place, but you don't work here. <laughs> you know, you work somewhere in between your customer and this place. So, whatever you're, you're the telecommunication telecommunications company, and you have a customer on the phone. You don't work for the telecommunications company, and you're not totally in the hole with the customer. You're somewhere in between. You're negotiating the best available deal between you you know I mean, obviously you want to get a paycheck you know and um, you can do get paid by a telecommunications company but the way you're going to build those relationships is, is that sort of like sort of that advocate in the middle working on both sides yeah, you know, cutting the best deal for both, both people
1: absolutely looking for the win-win
0: you're looking for the win-win yeah you can't sell you know The other thing I'll say too is that that steel company and also every other company before that, I worked for an insurance company for a a short period of time and then I worked in like men's suits and stuff like that um, when I was in the military and I worked for Sears too, um, is that there used to be this mentality and the the one I talked about earlier about that it just went away when the internet came around um, was there used to be this encouraged salesmen do this all the time. Is is someone comes in a lot and they've already got a what they're going to come at you with a line and then you're going to say something and they got another line for it. And then you're going to say something and they got some other line for it. Um, and I heard this my entire life like from like high pressure salespeople was, you know, when I was trying to sell stuff and I was never high pressure salesperson, I was just trying to find.
1: Yeah, common the, ground.
0: The common ground and the right fit for my customer. Absolutely. Uh, I was trying to find the right fit and I go to my boss and I say I lost the sale when, it was, when I knew it wasn't a good fit. He was like, What'd you say? I said this. And you should have said that. And then well, what if they said this? I said you should have said this. You know, like like somehow saying something in a certain way was gonna close the deal. Do you know
1: <laughs> it and would but here's the thing. So it might have closed the deal, but the customer might not have actually been happy about buying it. They might it might not have actually been a good fit for them. So what is all or,
0: they'll, or what they'll do is what they did in my case is cuz sometimes one time I did, I one time I pushed it to where I was that guy cuz I was desperate for a sale. Yeah. And I was in a house selling insurance and I pushed it to a place that I wasn't even comfortable and she signed the paperwork and um she called the main office and canceled it. Yeah. And she she didn't call
1: me. No. It's yeah. called the
0: main office and canceled i i got a like a cancellation notice in the mail like a few days later yeah you know so i and i you know i i just i was already down on the dumps you know and this that happened and i was like and i and i didn't even feel good about it you know like
1: it's yeah. cuz you so. you sold out some of your values to yeah. get that sale yeah yeah you know i've been there man i've i've done some some you know when i first started you learn really quick how you can kind of bully people into this stuff. And it's like, man, that's not, it's like a power versus force thing. You never want to force someone into doing it. You want to use your power. So they are a willing person into that. Like, you know what? They, they want to do this because it's a good fit for them or be, because you know what I'm saying? And, and I can, it's just one of those things. Like I'd rather be a consultant than be like a, you know, some cheese, cheese ball, put putting sales on him and saying, you know, hey, you know, does you know like a boiler room approach of right so so do you do you have to ask your wife before you, they put the before you put your pants on in the morning and just <laughs> silly <laughs> silly <laughs> shit like that like i i, I there is some guy I, I work with that he said something similar to a guy like the guy's like, well, let me talk to my business partner he's like, you're a grown adult, you don't need to talk to your business partner and I was like. You know, you can be that bold and you might make you know, you might close that deal, but that doesn't mean that deal's gonna stick. And right. to me, it was always about building, you know, build it. my sales. I always wanted them to be like sustainable growth. And I think I think that whole mentality, man, of of, you know, pushing things that aren't good fits is is part of that whole fraudulent like just fraudulent market that we have or you know the fraudulent stock market that we have and just like people i don't know i i think it's it it's probably not what's causing it but it's related it's like the the silver with the cattle thing it's 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 like uh you know i i, I just think that like it's 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 you know be a real person if you want to be a good yeah. salesperson be a real person like you know, be empathetic, you know, come align yourself with the person, you know, discover what they're really looking for. And then it's easy. If you can get someone to open up and tell them, you know, this is what I want, that's what I I want more than anything. I don't want this back and forth nonsense. And sometimes, you know, what sucks for me is customers are so used to those shitballs shysters that just, you know, try to, to, to do those lines and everything, you know, they'll come at me and I have to like, let them know right away, look, I'm here to help you. All right. You can try to play this game, but that's not what I'm here to do. And yeah. like, and it, and it's just like, you know, letting them know, like, look, I'm, I'm here to work for you. Okay. Like if you win, I win. Okay. I have a vested interest in you getting what you want because that's going to help me get what I want.
0: Yeah. Well, I heard you on that other program. Um, When I listened to another podcast of yours talking about just that thing, you know, and that's, that's the new generation of selling, you know I mean? You wouldn't have heard that. 15 years ago, you would have been sort of like the pansy in the room. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you're, the boiler room, there was a movie called Boiler Room that had movie. scenes in about high pressure sales techniques. And and it was all about saying this when they say that and, you know, and, and putting it to them about like wearing pants. And then I actually was in a sales room one time where, where they played um, the scene from Glenn Gary, Glenn, Glenn Ross, Ross, where yeah, Alec, Baldwin. Alec Baldwin comes in and just, destroys these salesmen you know i mean i love that and it's it's hilarious and these guys thought it was like um motivational yeah you know it's good theater it's theater it's great theater it's um and it's funny but it's not me you know
1: yeah i i think it so like sometimes i think it's motivational to like get like like it's funny like i like i love uh um the Wolf of Wall Street too. And it's it's like a it's to me, the Boiler Room was like a movie about firm I mean, there the Boiler Room was like the fictional world of what the Wolf of Wall Street of what that dude's firm was. Uh Jordan uh whatever his Elfort. name. Is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and I mean that was I mean, the cocaine and hookers and all that stuff, it's like, man, I mean yeah, I mean like <laughs> something that i realized you know because I, I you know this is like my first like business to business type of sales position that i have now and uh you know something that i i realized fast like just when i was selling phones is like man i was like god why are why do these people like to get coked up and sell stuff like i don't <laughs> i don't understand it like you know i i want to like i want to have this zen like i'm like zen and they're like just like you know just trying to I don't know head but headbutt a wall or something like I I don't it's like the that approach and it's it's you know people don't realize you know it's it's to me it's always been about sustainability it's always been about you know building a relationship with a customer like uh you know Joe Girard would always say you know every, every person knows 250 people if they can refer you know look if they don't like you 250 people are going to know about it if they do like you probably 60 people are going to know about it but it's better to have those 60 people like you than those 250 people not like you.
0: Yeah. 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 That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> um, um
1: good. Oh no, no. I was just going to say, so, uh, that was kind of it for sales, man. I, I, uh, I don't know. Do you want to wrap this up? Do you want to keep going? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can, yeah, we could probably talk forever actually. But, yeah. Uh, it flows so you, easily, man. you know? Um, and, um, but I really appreciate you like, um, call me up on this, you know,
1: Seeking you <laughs> uh, so I can,
0: so I can talk about it. Cause I don't talk about it very often. Yeah. You know, I've kind of moved on, you know, in fact, like I play guitar now, like, it's like uh it's another passion of mine and, and I can enjoy that with other people. Um, that's like where my, what's consumed, like, I don't, I don't keep tabs on quantitative easing anymore, but <laughs> uh, I, I was able to learn a guitar very quickly. And now I'm doing very difficult songs almost a year and six months into it.
1: Um, yeah, so, I, I, it's, it's interesting. Like, cause to me it's like, I can't, I don't, I'm not, it's like, for me, it's hard to imagine of when I would ever let go of doing a podcast. So like, I think it's so interesting because like you built an audience and then you just passed it on. And then like, yeah, you know, something you didn't share on the podcast we talked about before, same thing with the farmer's market. You built the farmer's market and then you got out of its way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was too busy. Um, I was Doing, um, yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of a passionate starter, you know, and then there's, there's those type of personalities, that just get things going. And then they see them, they start, they take a life of their own and I walk away and I'm just that, that character, you know, not everybody's built to just be there for the long haul.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh. And if you
0: understood my work ethic at like where I work and, um, you'd probably have a better appreciation of like, uh, where my focus is at. Oh you no,
1: know. you already own a business. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, and then that's the other thing amazing. Is that I've
0: started grief groups and uh, grief groups. And that's where I'm kind of burying my passion right now.
1: That's pretty cool, man. That's awesome, Steve. Well, you are a Renaissance man, my friend. And, uh, and I'm probably going to try to have you on again in the future. Um, thanks sure. for your time. Thanks for uh, agreeing to the podcast. Thanks for telling your story and, I had a blast talking to you, man. I, I it was hope fun.
0: It was a, it was a real great time. I, I used to do this like every every week, every Sunday night. I'd spend two hours, three hours, like doing stuff like this. We do like an hour long podcast and get it out of the way, and then do another two hours. Yeah, of just talking, <laughs> of just talking, and just yeah, like you yeah. Guys, I was I was telling military stories and stuff, and it was just great. It was great. I mean, um, yeah. I just I really needed it at that time, you know.
1: Yeah, but now it's like you, it's it's like it's it, you were ready to move on. Yeah. So that's that's awesome, man. So, well, anyways, everybody, check out Choice Conversations because uh, Steve Patterson uh, used to be Two Beers with Steve. Check out the old episodes, and uh, it's not the same Steve Patterson you heard tonight, but there's still gems of wisdom in there. Um, definitely check out what Chris has going on. Chris has a great show, Choice Conversations. Yeah. I uh, do
0: uh, The very intelligent conversations you guys have had about, like um – AI or artificial intelligence—I mean, just really mind-blowing stuff. You know, when I was folding laundry and and uh, listening to you guys, <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, that transcendence. Um.
1: Oh, that was—I uh, think that was Daryl. That was—I think that was Chris and Daryl that did. Oh, the was transcendence it? Okay, one. all right. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Uh, I, I, th- I thought that was you, but it's on a very similar in, um, tone and. Um,
1: yeah, Daryl. I love Daryl. Daryl's smart too, but
0: Daryl Becker, or is that, was
1: it? was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I wanted to have Chris on. Chris hasn't read uh, Isaac Asimov. And I was like, dude, I, I robot. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he's read, he hasn't read those books. And I was like, dude, we got to talk about I robot and all of Asimov's series. I'm like, I know yeah. he was a Democrat, but that's still like, that shit was like, he wrote that in the f- 50s and 60s. And it's, I, uh, I recently did some, a podcast about Philip K. Dick too. And, uh, like both those dudes with science fiction, I think. I mean, we could probably dive, dive deep into science fiction too, man. Yeah, so. I,
0: I read Asimov when I was in junior high.
1: That's awesome, man. You know,
0: it's, it was the four rules or something. I, yeah, I mean, I forget, just the some three rules, things. yeah. And and they still apply. All that stuff still applies. He was so, like, such a visionary.
1: Yeah, and uh, Star Trek uh, based uh, the positronic brain of, like, Data off of uh, Asimov. Um, and then there's this recent movie. Uh, if you have Netflix, check it out. It's, like, Philip K. Dick meets Isaac Asimov. It's called Automata. With uh, Antonio Banderas actually produced it and he stars in it, and his wife is in it as well. Uh, it's a great movie, man. I, I like it a lot. I like that kind of sci fi, though. A lot of people, I don't know, man, a lot of people are like, oh, it's the same idea that somebody else has already done. But it's like, no, man, I mean, it's, you know, everybody, but they don't like give credit to, they don't realize where the idea originally came from, or they don't, eh. people, it's like people like to be critics of like t- video media when they don't read books. They <laughs> don't realize what this stuff's ripping off, and uh, I don't know, man. It's just funny to me, but uh, yeah, Chris and I, I think we might do the Hunger Games soon. I haven't, I don't really want. I mean, it's not that I don't really want to. I, I haven't read the books, so I feel kind of, uh, I feel kind of. I watch the movies and I read like the Cliff's Notes, but I, I think it's, uh, I, I actually kind of have some issues with that because of uh, how it pans how it turns out but anyways we let's wrap yeah. it up here and i can all right, uh, all right. I'll talk to you a little yeah. bit after hey, thanks
0: thanks man i really, this is a blast um anytime i'll i'd love to do it again
1: fantastic sir all right, thanks, all right guys Trevor. thanks for listening go to the sample please rate review and subscribe also check out ray taylor at the inspired disorder network and thank you guys so much and uh yeah